So welcome to our first uh, episode of the Looking Up podcast. Um, really awesome to have you here. Uh, today with us we've got Steve Banbury, uh, the CEO of Aspire Media. Um, he's been a successful entrepreneur, uh, mainly working with startups, um, helping them grow uh, from very small to very large uh, very quickly. Uh, he's got a passion for socially con- conscious business um, and heaps of valuable advice uh, for young young people, uh, entrepreneurs and anyone uh, looking to start a career in business. So we're really excited to have him. Um, thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. So to start us off, could you um, summarize what you're doing at Aspire Media and how it can help businesses grow? Sure. Um, Aspire Media is a conscious content marketing agency. So we're working with conscious leaders, people that have a higher purpose, uh, a higher degree of consciousness. So they're looking beyond just making profitability. So they're looking to make a difference, a meaningful difference to the planet, to people, and the wider environment. Um, and in terms of growing business, we know that people are more interested these days in, um, in, in, in why we are in business mm. and the difference that we want to make to, than just simply making profitability. Do you see that um, more with the younger generation, or is it something that you've noticed uh, just as a trend uh, in the past few years? It's a good question. I think it's a combination of both. Um, there's definitely, you know, the younger generation folks of your age are coming through and are more consciously aware. Mm-hmm. You know, we've kind of taken the planet down a pathway that we've screwed things up slightly. Well, not slightly, big, and, 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 you know, big mm-hmm. time. Um, so the younger generation are looking to put things right. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to, um, we want to be engaged. We want to be working with organisations that are that have got the planet in mind, have got people in mind, mm-hmm. and not just about making profit. Cool. Was there a certain moment where you had an epiphany to that to that notion? Yeah, look, I've, I've always, I think I've, I've been fortunate, I've always had my conscious gene turned on. I started my first business in 1993, and for me it wasn't just about going out there and making money, it was like, it was, it was taking care of our, 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 our staff, mm. our customers, our suppliers, um, and, and looking, after, looking after that whole uh, community in, in place. Yeah. So it, it's always, for me, it's always been not just about making money. You put money over here and obviously a business has to make money. There's got to be profitability at the end of the day to survive. But I think if you, if you put the right things ahead of profitability and have a good structure in place, you can do really good work and the money tends to take care of itself. Sure. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that first business that you started in 93? Sure. Um, we started a, a security company. Um, at the time, didn't have a lot of money to put into it. Um, cashed in a life insurance policy. Uh, with $1,800 and, uh, and got things underway. We borrowed a small amount of money at the time and, um, and we went out to market. And we looked at the industry and saw a gap in the, uh, in, in the market and saw an opportunity and we focused on that. Mm-hmm. And we focused on a very, very small part of business, of the, of the, of the security industry. We were in a security industry and we, we focused on, as I say, a very, very small part of it. And uh, I can recall you know, those voices in your head in, in your ear, rather, um, people saying, you can't do that. You, you're not going to have a company that can just do that one small part. Surely you've got to do all these other things as well. And we had, uh, we had um, belief and faith that we could not only do it, but we could do it exceedingly well. Absolutely. And, I think leading on from that, that, adds, that's, that brings up a really interesting point where it's sort of, you, get, you can sometimes get feedback where people tell you this isn't going to work. How do you personally, when getting feedback like that, um, figure out when to follow it and go, oh, maybe there is something here, or no, I actually back myself and I'm going to take it a step further. Yeah, I think um, to a certain extent, the more people that are saying it can't be done, 
uh, the more it inspires me to the challenge, you know. Yeah. Um, if, um, if people aren't telling you it can't be done, then I think that the opportunity is not as big as what you think it is. Um, you know, yeah. It's about looking outside that, you know, you can't do that. There's an opportunity, mm. let's go and pursue that. Um, you, you've, got to, you've still got to have a good plan in place. You've got to have a, a strategic plan and an execution plan. You've got to go out there and follow that plan. Uh, we, were, you know, we were very strong in the business plans that we put together. Um, in the six years that we had that business, we exited the business six years after we started it. And every year, except for one, we were within 5% of our turnover targets. So uh, we talk about profitability parking over here. You've actually got to have a plan and you've got to have a structure for how you're going to achieve it, but you've got to have a goal, you've got to have a dream in terms of where you want to take it. Mm. And um, yeah, I think with any startup organisation, there's going to be a degree of people that are saying, no, that can't be done. Yeah. If everyone's saying it can be done, it's going to be easy, then it's probably done already, right? Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I guess sometimes, although it doesn't always work out, uh, so could you maybe describe um, a point in time where uh, maybe, maybe you should have followed someone's advice and there, there was a bit of a mistake and then maybe what you did to, to come out of that stronger? Sure. Um, for, for us, like I said earlier, we, we, we were very structured in terms of our thinking and very narrow in the market offering that we went to. We, we were in a secured industry and in the secured industry we, we started New Zealand's first ever CCTV company. Back in the early 90s there, there, there wasn't a company out there that specialised in closed circuit television. Um, and, and the pe people were coming to us and saying, well, you, there's just not enough of a market. Surely you're going to have to sell alarms and access control, which is what everyone else was doing. And we said, no, there's an opportunity here for a company to get out there and do it, and do it really, really well. Mm. And we did that. And within, um, within the first 12, 18 months, we'd narrowed it down even more. So we were very specific in the, in the area of the market that we were pursuing. And we became the best in the world at um, CCTV surveillance systems for the service station industry. Now, the mistake we made is that as we grew as a business, um, our first year we did just over half a million dollars revenue, our second year we went up to just short of 1.5 mil. So we grew exponentially. Mm. And as we grew, we, we brought more people to the team. And one of the mistakes that we made, I call it the magpie effect. You know, magpies love chasing big, bright, shiny things. Yeah. Well, this contract came along. Um, it was a contract that was worth nearly a million dollars and it was outside of our core business. It wasn't in retail, it wasn't in the service station industry, but it was in the CCTV industry. And we saw this contract and thought, well, it's a big contract, we could get that. A million dollars worth of revenue, we'll get some profile for it, mm. and we went after it. And the mistake with that is that it, we, we won the business and it was a big contract. Um, the margins weren't anywhere near the same and it distracted all of our attention onto this big, bright, shiny thing and took us away from our core business. And the lesson that we learned from that is, uh, is stay with your core business. Uh, we, can, we can get attracted by making money doing this, making money doing that, and all of a sudden, that area of specialization, being the best in the world at that one thing, can get diluted. Mm. And that was a really strong lesson for us. And that tied us up for probably two years, and ultimately cost us a lot more money than, than the money we made from winning the project in the first place because we were distracted. Yeah. Um, so, talking maybe a little bit more specifically on marketing, um, sure. how have you seen it change in the last 20 years? Oh wow, it's, um, marketing's changed radically. Um, you know, when I started my first business uh, back in the um, back in the early 90s, marketing used to be about you know, placing an advert in the yellow pages or in a, in a magazine. Mm. You know, you place an advert, the phone would ring. G'day, um, I saw your advert in the yellow pages. 
fantastic, I'll put you through to the sales team. And that was it. Yeah. You know, marketing's job was done. Um, I, I, I'd estimate, I guess, that in those days, that marketing, if you looked at the, at the sales process or the buyer journey, uh, marketing was about 10% of it. And then it went on to the sales team, and the sales team would go through and, and conclude mm. the sale. That's changed radically now. Um, we know that you know, over 60% of the buyer journey today starts with a Google search. So the Internet of Things has changed the whole way that we buy. You know, the power's gone back to the, to the consumer. Mm. We can do that Google search. We can have a look. Um, research also tells us that on average, uh, consumers are, are consuming five to seven pieces of content before they even engage a sales rep. Mm. Um, I know that uh, Driven, the, uh, the magazine, uh, the auto magazine in the Herald, they did some research a couple of years back, and they identified that on average, by the time someone walks into a forecourt to look at a new car, They've done 11 hours worth of research before they even walk onto that forecourt. So, you know, that's all marketing. That's all engaging people online. And, and we know that on average before picking up, picking up the call, uh, picking up the phone and making a call to a sales rep, that that buyer is somewhere between 50, 60, even 70% of the way through the buyer journey before they engage a salesperson. So marketing has a major, major impact now on the sales process before we hand over to the sales team. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that the internet's changed, of course, is uh, I remember back in the early days of the internet, um, take a hotel, for example. A hotel could get out there with a good camera, take some really nice photos, and make a pretty ordinary hotel look spectacular. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever, oh, you guys travel a fair bit, but you'd, you'd rock up to this wonderful hotel that you thought you'd booked in, uh, in, in Bali, and it turns out there was a piece of crap and I'd just taken some good photos, right, with a little bit of Photoshop. Um, it wasn't for a few years until they had customer reviews come on board. So reviews, you know, it's a big part of it. Mm. And we see that with everything that we buy from Airbnb to, to, to all sorts of travel destinations. Again, it's power back to the consumer. Mm. As a consumer, we've got more power than we've ever had before yep. because if you don't provide me with a good service or a good product, you're going to get a bad review. Mm. And you just can't hide from that. Yeah. So what sort of companies, um, specifically for Aspire Media, uh, what sort of companies do you want to work with and what, what can you help them with? Yeah, great question. So we're, look, we're, we're working with, um, with companies right across the board. We've got a, a strong focus on startups mm-hmm. with New Zealand Entrepreneur. Uh, the goal of New Zealand Entrepreneur as a, as a magazine, as a publication, is to inspire, educate and inform uh, the startup community. Uh, but at the same time, we recognise also that you know, startups have got a pretty high failure rate, a very high failure rate. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember some research a few years ago that said that 80% of companies that start out in the first two years fail. And out of that 20% that remain, 80% of them fail in the next two years after that. So if you look at companies that start today and survive five years, Mm. the numbers are pretty small. So we see it as our responsibility to help not only inspire people to do business for themselves, but give them the tools to be better entrepreneurs. Help them to stop, you know, stop the, the, the pitfalls and stop the, the mistakes they can make that might otherwise lead to failure. And we look at business as being relatively simple. At the end of the day, there's only three primary things that you need to do in business. You know, you need to make it, you need to sell it, and you need to count it. And a lot of entrepreneurs have this spark of an idea, you know, the better mousetrap, that would be a product or a better service. And they've got a great idea. They take it to market, but they might not necessarily be all that great at marketing themselves mm-hmm. or selling themselves. They might not be all that great 
at being able to do the financials, you know, their GST returns and getting the numbers right and, and all of that side of it. So for us, we, we want to partner with companies and provide that extension to their marketing for them. Mm-hmm. So they can get on with what they're best at. If they're, if they're delivering a service, then let them go and do what they're really best at. We'll partner with them and fill that gap as far as the, um, as far as the marketing side of it. And we do that from a conscious perspective, like we said earlier, higher purpose. What, you know, why does your business exist beyond simply making money? Absolutely. That's the thing that engages people. Mm. And we know that, that people are largely disengaged in the workforce. Gallup's poll uh, in North America showed that only 33% of the North American workforce are engaged in their work. It means that 87% are either disengaged or actively disengaged in the workforce. And that's a scary number. Mm. We also know the same research showed us that um, 51% of employees in North America are actively looking for another job or they've got their eyes open to opportunities. So as an employer, if you haven't engaged your people, Mm. you've got a workforce that is going to be looking at at going elsewhere. Mm. A workforce that isn't going to be engaged in the work that they're doing. And we see higher purpose or that consciousness and, 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 and looking at what the business stands for to be able to engage not only your, your staff but also to engage your customers and engage your suppliers as well and engage that wider community and attract them to what you believe in. Yeah. And we're real big fans of Simon Sinek. You know, Simon Sinek says that people don't, you know, you're not looking to do business with people uh, that, that want or need your product and service. You're looking to do business that with people that believe what you believe. Mm. And if you've got a higher purpose, if you're looking at doing good work that's good for the planet, that's good for people, that's good for the community, and it's worth standing for, then you'll attract and engage staff, which leads to lower staff turnover um, and reduces your costs. You'll attract customers. They want to do business with you. Um, and you'll attract, them, you'll attract a lot of customers to it. And those customers will become raving fans. They'll get out there and tell everybody else. You, it's like starting a movement. And you have a movement that's worth standing for, and you'll grow a business accordingly. So we, um, as a conscious content marketing agency, we create content around that higher purpose. We work with startups, but we also work with mid-sized companies, and we do work with some large companies as well. Now, some of the large corporates have got full marketing teams out there, but they haven't got a message around the good work that they're doing. Mm. So we can fill that gap as well. Absolutely. Yes. So with those 80% of startups that fail, do you, I, from what, I, what you've been talking about, um, I got the impression that you think a lot of it is due to the fact that they're not actually taking their higher purpose or looking in the long distance. Maybe they're thinking about next month, but they really should be thinking about five years, and that's where why they're tripping up. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think a lot of companies are focused on, 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 the, on the money. You know, where's the money? They, a, lot of, a lot of companies are focused on pure, simply features and benefits, selling features and benefits. And one of the other changes, going back to your earlier question, Raul, around how marketing's changed. You know, the whole sales and marketing world has changed in a, in a highly commoditized market. Mm. You know, we see, we see pe- people that are selling along the lines of features and benefits, and everyone seems to look the same. You know, we can't stand out from the crowd because there's that me too mentality. I've got this feature and it's got this benefit. And you can put it as a sample, so have I. You know, me too. I've got this wonderful feature over here. Me too. And it's from, from a discerning customer's point of view, we all look the same. Whereas if you focus on that higher purpose and what your business stands for and the real difference that you're looking to make, 
that gives you a competitive advantage by giving you a very clear and compelling point of difference. Mm. But most importantly, it's about doing the right thing as well. So absolutely, um, we see the opportunity to, to do more good in the world by, I guess, accelerating the scale of growth for consciously led organisations to do that good work and make, a, uh, and make a meaningful difference in the world. And we do that through the art of creative and very compelling storytelling. At the end of the day, that's what we do. We tell stories. We tell good stories that engage people yeah. around the good work that companies are doing. Yeah. No, that's fantastic, and I really think it's going to uh, do really well in the marketplace. I think there's a, a massive need for that, especially among young companies. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's really going to take off. Absolutely. Mm. Could it be mindful, though, one of the challenges, I guess, the, you might have heard the term greenwashing. No. Yeah. Greenwashing is... I guess a lot of, a lot of companies are seeing this wave of millennials that are coming through that have got their consciousness gene activated already. Yeah. They're seeing that companies do want to be, um, or people do want to be doing businesses with, with companies that have a higher purpose. And they put marketing messaging around it, but they haven't got it at the heart of their business. And they call that greenwashing. You, know, you might say that you, you do this, you've got a, you've got a product which is eco-friendly, um, and we should be doing business with us. We've got an eco-friendly product. We're a great company. But it's only one small part of what you do as an organisation. Mm. You might have a good product that's good for the environment, but if you don't treat your customers right, sorry, your, your, your staff right, mm. if you don't treat your suppliers right, then are you a good company? Are you really, do, you, do you really have a higher purpose that's worth standing for? And that greenwashing, I'm a little bit over it really, you know, you've got to actually you've got to peel the layers of the onion back and get right to the core of what's driving that organisation and why they exist. Mm. And for us, you know, we're going to put some very clear criteria around companies that we work with and companies that we don't. Because we don't want to help companies to grow if all they're doing is greenwashing the story to try and attract people mm. because really their, their focus is profitability as opposed to doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think a lot of companies sort of use that trying to ride that wave of that new new mentality and they're just kind of, uh, they're not authentic. They're Absolutely. Not, and I think people see through that yeah. um, when, when they try and push a message that they don't truly believe themselves. I think that comes out. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a good direction. Yeah, people, people see it, but it's, um, it's not always apparent. Mm. Yeah. You know, you go into the supermarket and you look on the shelves and, you know, there's your, your clean, green product, but what's behind that? You know, how are they treating their how are they treating their staff? Yeah. You know, are they treating them well? How are they treating their suppliers? Are they trying to screw them down to the lowest price mm. and maximise the profit they make, or do they look after their suppliers? Are they buying from you know from companies that have got sweatshops operating up in Asia, or are they actually making a, a meaningful contribution and perhaps putting some of their profitability back into stopping that sort of thing carrying on? Mm. Now that's where it's, it's not easy at first glance to know whether a company is operating ethically and doing it for the right reasons, mm. as opposed to someone that's just trying to ride the wave of, of consciousness um, and, and make money from it. From your current perspective, how would you define success and how has that changed as you've gained experience? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think far too many people look at success based on the material world, you know, the, the car we drive, the house that we live in. When I look at success in other terms, I look at it in, in terms of happiness. You know, how happy are we? How happy are we as an individual? And are we happy in the work that we're doing? 
Do we love the work that we're doing and are we having fun? For me, that defines success way more than, than what car you drive. And I think that we need to, again, be a little bit more conscious in the way that we define success because society's put a lot of pressure on us. You know, how do we look? You know, what does our body shape look like? And like I say, what, what car are we driving? Those are the sort of things that are going to go. You know, as we get older, our body shape's going to change. You know, as we, make, we may make a mistake, and we, we, lose those, um, we lose those financial things that we have and we hold close to us. And if your sense of happiness is determined by and is attached to you know, what you look like or what house you live in or what car you drive, if something comes along and takes it away from you, then you're kind of left hanging. And that's, you know, that's, a, that's a dangerous place to be sitting, I believe. Mm. So for me, success, I measure success on, on fun and happiness and the difference that we're making for the planet to make it sustainable, and the long-term sustainability and growth of, of, of the individuals and the whole environment. Now, for example, we used to, um, in my first business, we used to, we used to do things like have a happiness barometer. We do an, an, an anonymous happiness barometer. So we'd have a staff meeting once a month. And that staff meeting, um, first of all, we were pretty transparent with everything. We, I believe that transparency is a really um, critical factor in running a business. Um, we would share with everyone in the company what was going on. We'd give them a financial overview, we'd tell them how we were doing, what our targets were, and how we were going against those targets. We'd look at the difference that we were looking to make for our customers. We'd talk about new suppliers that we had on board. We would have events, we would invite our customers and our suppliers, our staff and their families to those events. Um, again, transparency with where we're at. Our, um, our, our monthly breakfasts, we started a thing called an MBA, Most Bloody Amazing Award. And it was, always, it was always a bit of fun. You could nominate people for doing something amazingly funny, amazingly stupid, amazingly good. Mm. But it was pretty lighthearted. We gave away a nice little, you know, a nice little prize. It would be a, typically be a, a dinner for two and, and the movies or something like that. So it was worth winning. Um, but we had some fun with it. And we had the happiness barometer. So you just have a little barometer, a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 was this place is awesome, the best place I've ever, I've ever been and, and ever worked. Um, to the bottom end of it was a one, this place sucks, get me out of here. And he just, everyone would get one, they'd circle on a scale of one to ten, hand it back up, and we'd do, do a quick count and we'd see where the happiness, the overall happiness of the company was. Now there's pieces of software that do that and do it better than that. But I think it's important that those, those metrics are some of the things you want to have when you're looking at measuring success. Absolutely. Because you look at how many people have got a, 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 a shit ton of money and they're not happy. Mm. And you look at people who've got no money, and they're absolutely happy. You know, where's the where's the success scale within that? Yeah, I think I think it should be um, a goal for uh, someone to, to be able to have both. Um, I don't think they're uh, mutually exclusive. That you that one means success and one means happiness, and the other the other doesn't. Yep. Um, I think yeah, I think I think it's perfectly acceptable for people to aspire to. Um, to be happy in terms of having uh, people around them that they love, a career that they love, uh, be able to do things that they love, um, but also to work um, for financial success as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, capitalism, in, in, in my view, is, is around voluntary exchange. You know, you provide a service or a product, and I exchange money for that. Mm. And so long as I'm really happy with the service or the product that I've got, I'm happy to spend the money that I've got, there is that voluntary exchange. And if you've got a great service, a great product, and you deliver it really well, and you're true to what, true to your word in that regard, then you deserve success in that re, in that in that regard. 
And if that success gives you financial stability, if that gives you financial success as well, then absolutely, totally agree with that. But so long as we're not doing it to the detriment of others yes. on the way through. And that's where I think capitalism kind of lost its way a little bit at the middle of last century. And it was all around profits. Mm. Profits above everything else. And I, I, I don't believe that that's the way that capitalism should operate. That's right. It's we, like we, a re-realisation of what capitalism can do. Absolutely. So, yeah. 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 I really like the idea of when you said you had that, um, you had the out of 10 rating of how happy you are. I think that's really great. Um, I don't know if there was even a situation where this happened, but if you had a situation where you go, oh, happiness has gone down a little um, over the past month or something, what do you then do to dive a little deeper or how do you, how do you rectify that? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to take some responsibility for it. I mean, we, we looked at the overall happiness and we, would, we knew things that were going on in the organisation. We would look at the impact of that on our happiness. Uh, but it's, you look at it overall, but then you've also got to look at it at an individual level. So as our business grew and we ended up with, with 29, 30-odd staff, uh, you, I think we've got a responsibility as a business to make sure that the concerns of running that business are taken away from the staff. You know, we we shouldn't be we shouldn't be dumping on the staff if there's a challenge that comes through because someone's dragging their payment with us. Um, so within that, it's around communicating with the staff, and it's also going back to them and making sure that they're loving what they do at an individual level. I would quite often go to people and say, "Are you having a, a ton of fun? Because it seems to me that you're, you're not having so much fun as you used to be having. What's going on? Tell me about that. Yeah. You know, if there's a if there's a personal situation, you want to be able to create an environment that people can bring their concerns to the table. And discuss that. Because as a business, it's our responsibility to make sure that your staff are looked after. They're going to spend as much time in the office as they are with their family. So I believe we've got an obligation and a responsibility to make sure that their time that they're working in your organisation is not only productive and they're achieving what they need to do and what you're paying them for, but they're having fun and they're really enjoying it. And if people aren't enjoying it long term, then I'd say, well, you need to be looking for somewhere else to work. Not that I'm looking to fire them, but you know, if, the, if this is not their passion, if their yeah. passions lie elsewhere, then follow your heart, follow your passions. Mm. And if you have to do it part-time to start with, and ultimately we'll work out how you can move on from the organisation and replace the role that you're doing here. If you're not loving the role that you're doing in the organisation, then find something else to do. Because people need to be having fun. Yeah. We spend too much time at the office not to be enjoying it, not to be having fun. And if we're having fun, we're going to be more productive as well, so it's a it's you know it's a spin-off. Um, it's a it's a, it's a win-win situation. Yeah. yeah, definitely think the world would be a lot better off with, with more bosses like you, <laughs> with that with that same mentality. More clones, Steve. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if we could. Yeah, you know, there's some there's look there's some great bosses out there. I'm not on my own in that. For sure. Um, yeah. And there's some great organisations you can you can follow to to find companies that are doing that sort of work. Conscious capitalism is a, is a great platform. Mm. of businesses that are doing good work. Yeah, and I'm sure you're looking to build this very same culture of Aspire Media as oh, well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. That's really cool. Um, so what advice did you get uh, when you were younger that you should have ignored? Um, some of the early advice I got was all around bad ideas. You know, you'd come up with an idea. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, that's you know, bad ideas. You know, you, if you squash ideas, then you stop creativity. Yeah. Um, so I, I had some of that as a young fella, you know, bad ideas or you can't do that. And people will give you a whole bunch of reasons why it couldn't be done. Um, I'd sometimes use it as inspiration to actually get out there and prove people <laughs> wrong. 
And like I said earlier, if, if, if the whole world's telling you it can't be done, then maybe there's a seed of an opportunity in that. Well, I think advice that I could have ignored is, um, is that there are bad ideas. I instill a philosophy in, in businesses that I'm involved with and, and leading is that there's no such thing as a bad idea. And I say that for two reasons. I mean, number one, I, I, I say it to cover my own my own ass. <laughs> I, I come up with the, the craziest, wackiest ideas you've ever heard of, heard of, right? So, you know, I want to throw those ideas. And, and, and I think the good thing with that is if you throw ideas and people can see that you're not afraid to throw ideas mm. and, and, um, and be talked down, be talked around from them, because I'm not attached to them, you throw ideas out there, then it, um, it, it encourages other people to throw ideas as well. And it's amazing, you know, when you create an environment where it's okay to throw ideas and you say that there's no such thing as a bad idea, yeah. there might be an idea that's not going to work and someone might throw you an idea and say, oh, look, we tried that mm-hmm. and it didn't work out. But keep on throwing the ideas. I recall a situation back in, it must have been, we'd been in business for about four years and we had our, our receptionist, um, a role came up in the company in, in customer services and we liked to promote it internally. Um, and she applied for the role, and she, she got the role. And we recruited a new uh, person at the front desk to meet and greet. She was director of first impressions, um, <laughs> meet, and gre- meet and greet customers, and, and answer the phones. And uh, in one of our sessions, in one of our monthly um, breakfast sessions, um, she came up with this idea and threw this idea in, and, and everyone went, wow. Um, we hadn't seen it, you know. We, we were a team of about, I don't know, 18, 20 people at the time. And she came out with an absolute gem that we were able to adopt into the business. Now, that young girl would, would never have felt comfortable to throw that idea. You know, the young person goes out into a business and it's like, oh, keep my head down, won't say too much. Um, I'm a little bit afraid of saying an idea. I can see an idea here, but I don't want to say anything because they're going to think it's dumb. You can't do yeah. that. You, you, you encourage creativity, let the ideas flow. People feel valued and their sense of worth goes up. Mm-hmm. And they come up with some bloody good ideas from time to time as well. The other part of that, though, is you, the other philosophy that goes hand in hand with it is mistakes are okay. Yeah. You know, you, if you're going to throw ideas out there and you're going to try new things and innovate, whether it be around customer service, whether it be about product, you're not always going to get it right. Um, and you're going to make a mistake. And a mistake's okay. If it affects other people, then you want to take responsibility and ownership of that mistake and communicate it. Communicate back to your customers if a customer is involved and then put it right. Mm-hmm. And I have not seen a situation where um, we've made a mistake, it's impacted a client, and we've actually picked up the phone and either gone to meet the client uh, or invited them in and sat down and said, look, we, we, we were doing this on your project, we made this mistake, we're really sorry, it wasn't intentional, uh, so we apologise for that. Um, what do we do to put it right? This is what we're thinking, we want to make sure that it's put right to your satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And clients love it. They love the fact that you're, you're prepared to be honest and upfront and own the mistake that you've made and to be part of the solution. Mm. And like I say, I, don't, I can't remember a time where that's happened and it's, it's worked out really, really badly where the client hasn't actually gone, you know what, that's great. Yeah. I really value the fact that you've communicated with me. Um, we love your plan. Uh, we just like to see a little change over here and we'll be happy. And they keep doing business with you. Because they want to do business with people that are going to be straight up with them, right? Yeah. So it, it works well. That's great. So <laughs> what sort of advice would you give to a university student entering the workforce who wants to make a difference and do the right thing in terms of being socially aware but feels they won't be taken seriously or doesn't know where to start? Okay, it's a good question. 
Well, I think I think to start to start the answer to that question, you need to focus on your passions. You know, what is it that really lights your fire? What are you passionate about? What is the difference that you want to make personally? All right, that's the that's the first place to start with, isn't it? Mm. And then go out there and just look, be aware. There are a lot of companies out there that are doing good work. There are a lot of there are a lot of individuals that are aspirational, that are doing awesome work out there. And find those people, find those organisations that are doing work that you're passionate about. And then from there, go and make a difference. You know, there are companies out there that are making awesome differences to the planet, to the people. And um, you know, we've got to follow. You've got to follow your own your own heart, follow your own passions, and follow your dreams. Mm. And once you're clear mm. on where you want to be yourself and the difference that you want to make. Then you can go out there and align with other organisations. I think too many people compromise where they are and their own values, and they end up working with an organisation going, "Well, it's a means to an end. I'll go and do this. It's not really what I want to do, and I'm going to do it until I've got enough money to put a deposit on a house, or until I've done this." And it's like you're kind of putting your happiness on hold. Mm. I'll be happy when. Mm. Doesn't work for me. Be happy now. There's a wonderful saying that says, "If you want to be happy, be. You know, be happy." Yeah. And you, where, how do we get happy? We get happy when we're following what we what what sits in here, mm. as opposed to what sits in here. You know, go and get a job that's going to be paying me 60, 80 grand a year for an organisation that's not really doing good work, but I'll do it because it'll get me get me by. And that can be a real trap because you get stuck in that, and all of a sudden you're attached to the income. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you pay someone an extra hundred bucks a week, they're going to spend hundred and two. You know, your lifestyle, your lifestyle changes, and that you know that rat on a treadmill, you get stuck in a job that you don't really like, but you've got to stay with it because you've got a mortgage or you've got a car payment or whatever it is that you've got, and you need that income, and now you're in this compromised situation. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you follow your passions and follow what difference that you want to make. Then you're coming from from the right place, and everything can flow from there. So get it right yourself. Find out what you're passionate about and what really lights your fire, and then go and find organisations that believe what you believe, because they're out there. They sure. really are out there. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. Mm. Yeah, I think that a lot of people also um, they don't set their goals high enough. Sometimes, like a lot of talking to a lot of my friends, and and they seem quite content with that sort of that lifestyle that you were describing, you know, the house, maybe the boat, um, and a, a decent, well-paying job for in a, in a middle management or something like that. But I think people, if they really looked a little bit further um, and looked deeper within themselves as well as to what truly does make them happy, um, I think there's a there's a whole another another world for, for them out there. Absolutely. Yeah, I think yep. that's... Um, I know that, Ruben, you share the same uh, vision as I do as we're trying to create something for ourselves that... Uh, we tr- truly are passionate about um, and something that we can uh, look back on our life when we're, we're old and grey and, and, and say, yeah, we had no regrets and we lived something uh, pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's also that under understanding that it's not really a compromise. Like, if you're, you don't have to sacrifice any, like, your own happiness to do good in the world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it actually stems from that. And yeah, people sometimes get stuck in yeah. the idea of, like, I just need to focus on me. Where it's like if you can make the world a better place, then it's a better place for you as well as everybody else. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's not a it's not a sacrifice. It's, mm. yeah. And in doing that, you avoid that next step of aging, which is your midlife crisis. Yeah. 
if you know, you look at dentists, for example. You know, dentists have got one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Mm. Why is that? And look at them and think, well, a dentist. Uh, they get paid a fair, fairly good chunk of money. I mean, we know that when we go and pay the dental bill, right? <laughs> yeah. But if they're not truly passionate about it, what happens? They get to that midlife point where they've got the mortgage, the big mortgage, they've mm. got the big car payments, and they just wake up one day and go, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit fed up mm-hmm. of putting my hand in someone's smelly breath, you know? And, but I'm stuck there because your lifestyle has moved to accommodate that. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that the dentists don't enjoy their work, because I'm sure that they do, but, but do it for the right reasons. Mm. Do, in, do it for the reasons that really light your fire, and you'll find dentists that go all the way through their career and are happy with it, and they love it. But if you don't do it for the right reasons, you're going to get stuck in that compromising situation, which leads to unhappiness. Mm. And that, by my definition, is not success at all. Um, what skills and qualities do you see that are timeless um, to be successful, um, not just in business but in life as well, um, and sort of traits that are important in the past, were important in the past, and will continue to be important in the future? Yeah, for me that's pretty simple, Raul. Um, I break it down into three. Honesty, integrity, and hard work. Mm-hmm. And honesty for me goes goes more than just telling the truth. You know, honesty is... Um, Honesty is around taking responsibility and owning the choices that you make. We all make choices and some of those choices are going to be wrong. Uh, like I said before, mistakes are okay. If you make a mistake, own it mm. and put your hand up and take responsibility for it. Yeah. That's part of what honesty is about. Uh, and uh, the other part of honesty for me is around having tough conversations. When you're a leader in business, even when you're not a leader in business, if you're, if you're, you're working in business and you, and you can see something that's not going as it should do, then it's pretty easy just to ignore it and think it's going to go away. Yeah. But sometimes we've got to have a courageous conversation, whether it be with a colleague, whether it be with a staff member. Have that courageous conversation with them and not be afraid to say the tough things that might need to be said. If someone's not performing to a certain level, they need to be able to sit them down have that tough conversation, but at the same time, be mindful of where they're at, because we've got no idea what's going on in their world, and actually work with them to help them through that situation. But don't just brush it under the, under the carpet and, 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 and forget about it, because it's not necessarily going to go away, mm. and not actually going to deal with it long term. So that, for me, is the, the honesty part of the conversation. Um, I think also, if you, if you throw a good, healthy dose of transparency in there, I think that helps with, uh, with honesty as well. Um, integrity. Integrity is pretty simple. It's about doing what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And if for some reason something comes up and you're not able to meet the deadline perhaps that you've set, then just communicate him. Yeah. Pick up the phone and say, look, I knew I was going to get that stuff out for you um, this afternoon, but look, something's come up. I apologise for that. I just can't get it for you this afternoon. I will have it in your inbox tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah. Um, you know, so I'll just finish off the third part of it? Yep. Yeah. Um, Look, the, 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 the third part of that is hard work. Now, we live in a, in a society today where we've got instant gratification. Now, if you're hungry, go and get a burger. You know, it's, it's right there for you. If you, want a, if you want a question answered, just hit Google and you've got an immediate response. And you, you text message someone, you expect that to come back to you straight away. And I think that that's breeding a culture that, um, of impatience, if you like. You know, you look at anyone that's successful, Mm. And behind that successful person, you'll very rarely see an overnight success. You know, most overnight successes have taken a number of years to get there. 
a bunch of failures along the way and a lot of hard work. So hard work is, you know, it, it's fundamental to the success mm. of, a, of, a, of an organisation. You've got to be prepared to roll your sleeves up and do some hard work. You can't just go into a piece of work and all of a sudden you're going to be wealthy unless you win a lotto. And if you're banking on winning a lotto, then probably not the best sort of guy to go going into business. <laughs> no, those sorts of people probably aren't going to make it if they're, they're relying well, on the lotto. Not that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And funnily enough, you look at most lotto winners, um, people that haven't had wealth before, they win lotto, and within two or three years, they're back to where they started. Mm. And miserable. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. Doesn't bring, doesn't bring happiness. Happy. Yeah. I think that um, the point about hard work, it can almost... Uh, work in, in people's favours the opposite way as well because if you are prepared to put in the, in the hours if you are prepared to put in the hard work you can really differentiate yourself um, from from everyone else um, and it might not be that might be a little bit of a sort of a selfish way of looking at it because in the end as a society we probably might not be where we want to be but if you're looking at it from an individual point of view um, there are lots of opportunities for people to, to succeed in, in the coming Coming yep. years, I think. Yeah. Do you think relating that to balance, like, is there a distinction between, say, working hard and working long? Yeah, I think absolutely. Working hard doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do a 14, 16 hour day. Mm. You know, I think it's really important um, in business that we take time for blue sky thinking. Yeah. You know, um, and we also take time out. We've got to have that. You're absolutely right, Ruben. We've got to have a really, really good balance in there. And I'm all for one, I'm not about having long, long hours because it can be counterproductive. Mm. And we're seeing that now. We're seeing com- uh, countries that are changing that. You know, up in Scandinavia, they just recently changed their work week and cut it right back to, I think it's a 32-hour work week. The French have been doing that for some time. Mm. And I know for myself, you, know, you might have experienced yourself, but I, an example, you, you've got a 3 o'clock flight in the afternoon, you've got to be at the airport at 1 o'clock. You get to the office in the morning at the same time, but you've only got until 12.30 by the time you've got to head home, pick up your bags and get to the airport. Invariably, you'll, you'll turn in as much work in that time if you're focused on it and the outcomes that you want to achieve yeah. as you will do when you do a long day. The mm-hmm. difference is that you've actually got time to do other things. So it's not about hours. Hard work's not necessarily about long, long hours. It's about being productive, but it's also about not expecting to do a little piece of work and have immediate success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so what's the most worthwhile investment uh, that you've made, either financially or, or non-financially? That's an easy one. People. Yeah. yeah. Into, people other, I, into other people? Yeah, I love, I love um, investing time and opportunity into people mm-hmm. and um, often having more belief in them than they've got in themselves. Mm. And if I look back over my career, the most rewarding things in my business career have been able to help people grow beyond their wildest expectations. You know, to have belief in them, to give them the, the tools and the framework mm. um, and allow them to get on with it and do things even more, even better than what they thought they could do themselselves. And um, in, the, in the personal world, you know, your kids, your family. Mm-hmm. Again, it's people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, a wonderful, what a wonderful investment to be able to give. Uh, it's the greatest gift that we have. Well, I think that's, um, that's a good place to end it. So um, on behalf of both of us, thank you very much for coming on the show, episode one. Yeah. Awesome. Um, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a great conversation, um, and I hope that we can have you back on the show at some point, uh, maybe when there's a little bit larger of an audience. But, yeah. but you know, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd be definitely good to, to have you back awesome. at some stage. So yeah. thank, you. thank you. No worries. Cheers. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you very thanks, much. Thanks, guys. Whew.
That was good.